Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Maim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you. We love you and we adore you. Father, I thank you for being a gracious and caring God, for being a loving God. Father, I thank you for being a God that speaks into our hearts and our lives. And I ask you, Lord, as we open up your word this morning, that you will speak boldly into our lives today, that you will change our hearts, that you will make us uh, uh, more in the image and likeness that you created us in. And Father, that you will make us more of an imitation of Yeshua Mashiach, especially carrying the good news, the Besorah of uh, your salvation to all the ends of the earth. Father, I pray that you speak boldly through uh, this message today, that you touch our hearts and our lives, that you use me as a vessel for you, that nothing of me be involved except that which you have ordained for this purpose. B'shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen. Amen. Uh, this week we are in Parsha Ekev uh, from Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy 7, verse 12 through uh, the end of 11. Uh, so if you have your text, go ahead and open up to Deuteronomy 7, verse 12. We're going to begin there. Um, this, as we've been saying for a few weeks now, is a very exciting time uh, in the Jewish calendar, in the, the biblical calendar, uh, as we look at being in the seven messages of consolation out of Isaiah, uh, basically Isaiah 49 through Isaiah 40 through Isaiah 60. Um, this is a really powerful time because we begin to see, as we look through the, the Haftarot Parshot, uh, we begin to see the beauty of the plan of salvation and, and the work of redemption God had intended through Messiah for our lives, and ultimately the image of that, the uh, foreshadowing of that that he gave us through the people of Israel over the course of history. And so we get to, to take part in that, and as believers, far too often in the body of Messiah, we, uh, because we have kind of dichotomized ourselves as, as the body of Messiah from the Jewish world, from Jewish tradition and culture, um, and, and really in a lot of regards from even the Old Testament itself, we have lost a lot of, of the focus uh, during this time period of what's happening. I mean, for instance, we look at the Moedim, the appointed days, the, the, the high holy days, and, and so on. And what we realize as we look through these is that they're, they're dichotomized in spring and fall uh, festivals. But when we look at them, the spring feast, all were to point to and be a foreshadowing of the work of Messiah. And they were all fulfilled in the first coming of Messiah. And the fall feasts, uh, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, and so on. They were all uh, specifically for the purpose of being a foreshadow and a prophetic uh, reality of what was to come in the second coming of Messiah. And so the body of Messiah as a whole has kind of separated ourselves from all of this, and we've lost sight of some of these valuable realities that connect us to the Word as believers and ultimately connect us to the root that we have been grafted into, both natural and unnatural branches. Romans talks about grafted into the root and the fatness, which is Israel. And so it's important important as a Messianic Jewish community that we dig into the realities of what's happening here, that we dig into this time period, this season on the calendar. And as we look at, uh, as we've been saying, looking at the seven messages of Isaiah, the seven message of consolation post Tishbab, the ninth of Av, when the temples were both, the both temples were destroyed and a bunch of other atrocities against Israel and the Jewish people have occurred throughout history. We also see, as I pointed out over the last two weeks, the beauty of the work of redemption that God has already begun performing during this period with the immersion of Yeshua by, by uh, Yochanan ha 
Hamad Bill, John the Immerser on Tisha B'Av. Uh, the same day that the spies brought an evil report, he was immersed and entered the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the enemy. As a matter of fact, his first response to the enemy, man shall not live by bread alone, comes from this week's Parsha. All right. Uh, it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Go back and look at it if you don't believe me. Um, he's quoting this Parsha in, this, in that response to the enemy. And so as we look through all of this, we see that there's this beautiful work that the Lord is doing through Yeshua in the beginning of his ministry. His ministry didn't begin post-reading from Isaiah in his home synagogue in Atzeret after returning from the wilderness, but instead his ministry began the day he was immersed by John, and he spent the entire time he was in the wilderness being tempted and tested by the enemy, redeeming the mistakes of Israel that left them in the wilderness for 40 years that was brought on by the 40 days the spies spent in the promised land. And so I say all of that to remind you that one of the things we're focusing on as we move through these uh, remaining weeks of the seven messages of consolation is on redemption, restoration, renewal, and deliverance because this is the work that Messiah provided for us in his first coming. It wasn't just salvation. Salvation's the beginning right? He wants us to find salvation in the blood of the Lamb, that we not have to pay consequence of sin, which is death eternal, but instead that we find life eternal in His midst. But not only that, that was just the beginning. He wants us to find true freedom in Him. He wants us to never have to worry about the enemy's reign, grip, and captivity in our lives again, but instead that we have total freedom in Messiah, that we have the freedom He has come to give to us. So if you have your scriptures, go ahead and open up to Deuteronomy chapter 7, beginning with verse 12. It says, then it will happen as a result of your listening to these ordinances, when you keep and do them, that Adonai your God will keep with you the covenant kindness that he swore to your fathers. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb, the produce of your soil, your grain and your new wine and your olive, your oil, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock and the land that he swore to your fathers to give you from all peoples. You will be blessed. There will not be male or female barren among you or your livestock. Adonai will remove all sickness from you, and he will not inflict on you any of the terrible diseases of Egypt that you knew, but will inflict them on all those who hate you. So this first verse, verse 12, and uh, first two verses, verse 12, verse 13. Uh, says, then it will happen as a result of your listening to these ordinances. The Hebrew word there for listening, the root is, or the, the, the base of that is Shema. Just like we say in Deuteronomy 6, 4, Shema Yisrael Adonai Elohim Adonai Echad, right? Hear us, O the Lord your God, the Lord is one. The word here is Shema, which means hear, but it's not just hear as listen. Like, you know, as a husband, we're often guilty of listening, but not really hearing, right? Uh, you know, our, our wives will talk and, and we know they're talking, but we have no clue what they're saying. Um, and, uh, and, and it's not that kind of listening. Uh, it's not listening like our children when we tell them to go do something and they absolutely hear us and respond and they just don't go do it, right? Um, you know, go clean your room. Okay. Why are you in the backyard? I said, clean your room. Your room's worse than it was when I said clean it. What are you doing here? How are you in the backyard and still made it worse? Um, the word Shema is actually a, uh, a bit of a different type of hearing. It actually means to hear and respond or to hear and be obedient or to hear and follow through. So when, when uh, this passage says here that we are to listen to these ordinances, these mishpatim, these ordinances referencing the commandments of the Torah, says, uh, I want you to listen to them. It's not just, hey, Moses is speaking to you, so hear these words. 
right? It's not just open your Bible once a day or once a week or once a month or whenever you get around to it and read some words so you feel like you've done something. But it's listen and respond, react, interact, and follow up, follow through, follow with these uh, commandments. So the word here is Shema. We are to do something in parallel with hearing something, right? So when the Lord says, thou shalt not kill, if we're going to, uh, or thou shalt not murder is more accurate. Uh, he says, thou shalt not murder, right? If we're going to Shema, if we're going to hear that, that means we listen and we react by not committing murder, right? Uh, which for some of us means we just have to quit our job because uh, there's probably no other way to get around that one. Um, but the, the reality is, is that there's an action that goes with this type of hearing. It's not a passive response. And then he goes on to say, when you keep and do them, and the word here for keep is, is really interesting. It's actually the word uh, 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 shamar, which is the root word for shomer. Uh, but shamar means to guard, not just keep, but to guard. All right. So when we say in, in modern Jewish culture, uh, often you hear somebody say they're uh, in, in Ashkenazi Hebrew, they're Shomer Shabbos. Shomer Shabbos means you're a Shabbat keeper. In essence, if you say you're Shomer Shabbos, it means you're Orthodox. All right. Uh, but Shomer Shabbos literally means one who is a guardian of Shabbat one who guards and protects the Shabbat, right? So if we are to keep or to guard, to shamar these words that God is giving us, these ordinances, the mishpatim, the mitzvot, the commandments that the Lord is giving us, how do we guard them? Is it something that we do passively like, oh, hey, you know, I've got a Bible, I'm going to protect it. I'm going to stick it in a, what are those, those little Bible covers, the dust covers that keep them from getting dusty when you never touch them for years on end, right? Um, it's not that we're to, to guard the words as though to keep it from getting dirty or to keep it from uh, falling into the wrong hands or anything like that, but it's that we live our lives because we're especially as believers, right? That word, the, 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 the power and the presence of that word, which is Yeshua Mashiach now resides in our life. So if we're going to guard those words, it's not just, you know, making sure we bear hug them and nobody's going to yank them away from us or keeping them clean, but it's Instead, it's an actual living them out in a way that we don't forsake them, living out the words of Adonai in a way that we don't bring disgrace to the Lord, living out the words of Adonai in a way that when we honor him, others know we're honoring him, and they don't get uh, uh, kind of this mentality of our lives as though we don't take serious the relationship and the covenant we have with the Lord. So it's not keep as in, you know, the Bible says don't eat shellfish, so I'm just not going to eat shellfish right? It's not just that. There's more to it. There's a deeper uh, uh, interaction with these mitzvot, with these commandments, the mishpatim, the ordinances of the Lord. There's a deeper interaction with it than just a physical observance, but instead we're to guard them because the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. We are the guardians of that word. We are to protect and to care for it. Uh, we are to make sure that we do not make the Lord look foolish in the way that we honor his word. But then it gets interesting because this word pops up again in just a second. It says, then uh, that Adonai, your God, will keep with you the covenant kindness that he swore to your fathers. Again, that word keep is shamar, guard. So he says, if we... Shamar, if we guard the, cover, the, the, the commandments, the, the word of God in our lives, if we guard our relationship with him, if we protect our relationship with him and the way we live out our life with him, he in turn will guard the covenant he has made with us. Right? It's an if or. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, seek my face, turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven 
I will heal their land and I will forgive their sins. If or. The Lord says we have to do something first, right? This doesn't mean the Lord's just like taking our covenant that we've made with him and throwing it at the trash can like it's a basketball just because we, uh, you know, break Shabbat or we do whatever else or, 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 or we take his name in vain or anything along these lines. It's not like he's done on his end just because we refuse to do our end, but instead that there is something to be seen in the presence of the Lord in our lives when we actually do what we're supposed to do on our end. Uh, you know, one of the... One of the things that's really neat about the presence of the Lord is that when we actually strive to get into the presence of the Lord, the presence of the Lord is more powerful, right? It doesn't mean His presence isn't already there, but it's that we recognize it, we see it, we are interacting with it, we're involved with it. The same thing goes with the blessings and the curses of Deuteronomy 20, 27, 28, 29. Uh, as we look through the blessings and the curses, one of the things that's really unique about it is the Lord doesn't say, hey, as long as you follow my commandments to the T, all of these blessings will be yours. But the moment you break the commandments, all of these curses are yours, right? He doesn't say that it's one without the other. He doesn't say that once the curses are a part of our lives, all the blessing is gone. What he does say, though, is that once the curses are a part of our lives, all we're going to recognize are the curses, right? So when we tithe faithfully, right, when we're tithing faithfully, we see the blessing of the Lord, right? There, there's uh, uh, no discomfort in trying to pay our bills or in trying to meet needs or what have you. We're able to bless other people. We're able to do all these things. When we aren't paying tithes, right, when we're not being faithful to that, that relationship that we're supposed to uphold, when we're not being faithful in that area, things get a little tighter. They get a little more uncomfortable. It becomes harder to meet those ends that need to be met. That doesn't mean we don't have a roof over our head, that doesn't mean we don't have food on the table. That doesn't mean we don't have power. That doesn't mean we don't have working water. That doesn't mean we don't have all of these things, right? The Lord says he's going to make sure we are provided for. Provided for doesn't mean rich. Provided for means not lacking, all right? And so even when we're outside of the covenant of God, if we are in relationship with the Lord and we're walking outside of our relationship, we're not honoring his uh, relationship in the way we're supposed to. That doesn't mean that those blessings are ripped away. It's just that we're so buried in the curses that we can't see the blessings, right? There have been countless times in my life that in, in regards to tithing that, uh, and, and you guys have heard me talk about it before, years ago, this was something Danielle and I struggled with for years, that the, the faithfulness, the, the, you know what, you know, I wait tables for a living, or I did. I wait tables for a living, and it was really hard to, you know, okay, well, I got 100 bucks tonight, and I've got a $300 bill that's coming up in a couple of days. If I give 10 bucks right now, I might not have the money needed for that bill. What do I do? Uh, and, and we struggled with this here and there for, for years, and what we noticed was, was when we were tithing faithfully, we didn't notice. We didn't notice all of the ends being met. They were just getting met. We didn't have to worry about all of that. But when we weren't tithing faithfully is when we started realizing things were complicated. Things were tight. Things were uncomfortable. But we still had a roof. And we would start to, we'd get back on track tithing faithfully. And we'd look back and go, you know, it's funny. I don't know how our rent got paid. I have no clue how our rent got paid for that six months that we weren't being faithful. I don't know how our power stayed on for that six months that we weren't being faithful. And, and looking back at it, once we're realigned in the covenant, looking back at it, we see the Lord never forsaken, uh, forsook us. He never walked away from us. We may not have been honoring and, and, and upholding what we were supposed to, but he never walked away from us. So even as we look at this, even when we are not guarding, when we are not shamar, we're not guarding his commandments and our end of the covenant, that doesn't mean he's now thrown his end away. And we see that with Israel, right? Over and over again, Israel sins and sins and sins and sins. The golden calf right out the gate, the golden calf. 
uh, they, they see the power and the might, the presence, the, 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 the uh, uh, salvation of the Lord coming out of Egypt. And then immediately they build a golden calf because Moses is on the mountain a little too long and they don't know what's going on. And, you know, he's got to be hungry. Uh, and, and how in the world could he possibly be alive? I mean, look at the fire on the mountain. How could it be al- anybody be alive in there? So they build a golden calf immediately after coming out of, the, out of Egypt. Uh, and the Lord doesn't forsake them. The Lord doesn't leave them. He doesn't cast away. He doesn't slaughter them all, right? Instead, he forgives them. And he continues to forgive us, us, uh, over and over and over and over again. As we continue to, to move on to Deuteronomy 8, verse 1, it says, You are to take care to do the whole mitzvah, the commandment that I am commanding you today, so that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that Adonai swore to your fathers. Verse 3, He afflicted you and let you hunger. Then he fed you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, in order to make you understand that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The, the, the scriptures are our bread, right? The things we eat, those are just things we live off of. Right? But this is how we survive, is through his word. And if we're not in his word, if we're not cleaving to his word, if we're not shamar, guarding his word, then we're not truly taking a, a part of what the Lord has for us. But he continues, he says, you are to take care of, over and over and over again in this parsha. he reminds us the importance of honoring our covenant with him. Over and over again, he brings us up. Verse 11, chapter 8, take care that you do not forget Adonai your God by not keeping his mitzvot, ordinances, and statutes that I am commanding you today. How do we forget the Lord? By not honoring our end of the deal, right? He says, make sure that you do not forget to honor uh, or to forget Adonai your God by keeping his misvote ordinances statues that I am commanding you today. Um, he goes on throughout this and, and starts to tell Israel, look, when you go into the, the land and, and you see how uh, big they are and you see how tough things get and you get scared because you're not really sure how you could possibly defeat them, just remember, think back to what happened with Egypt. Think back to what I did for your forefathers coming back to, from Egypt. Think about all of the things I've done for you thus far. You've got nothing to worry about. You've got nothing to worry about. So when that power bill is creeping up on you and it's expensive and you don't know how you're going to meet it, or when there's a medical concern that's creeping up on you, you don't know how you're going to beat it, or there's a job issue creeping up on you, you don't know how you're going to beat it, and you get worried and you get scared and you get tied down, it's important that we recognize, you know what, we don't have to focus on the problem that we're in now, which as humans is our tendency. We focus on the problem that we're in now, and we lose focus of everything else around us, right? What the Lord says, remember what I've already done for you. Remember the way I've already come through for you. I mean, any one of us right now could think back to countless times in our lives that the Lord came through for us huge when nobody else would or when nobody else could or even worse, when we weren't even walking right with him. Over and over and over and over and over and over again, the Lord has been there guarding us and protecting us and caring for us and providing for us. And he tells us, look, this is just another hurdle, right? This is just like the Yeshua in the wilderness being tested by the enemy. The enemy kept throwing these temptations out, right? Just kept throwing them out. And Yeshua just continues to, to combat it with Scripture and say, look, I serve the Lord God Most High. I've got no one else to bow to because the Lord is Lord of all. And there is nothing you can give me that he can't give me better. There's nothing you can promise me that's better than the promises he's already fulfilled in my life. 
Look, Israel came out of Egypt. The Lord smote Egypt with plague after plague after plague after plague. He embarrassed the idols of Egypt over and over and over again. He brought them through with a mighty hand. He brought them out of Egypt with Egypt's weapons of war in their hands. And he brought them safely to the other side of the Yamsuf on dry ground of the Sea of Reeds, on dry ground. All Israel had to do was think back to what God's already done. All we have to do is think back to what the Lord has already done in our lives, where he's brought us from, the things he's brought us through, the changes he's already made in our lives. And we never have to worry about the problem we're facing now because we will recognize, we will understand, and we will know that the Lord is faithful even when we are not, that the Lord is faithful even when we forget what it is we're supposed to be doing. As we look through this Parsha, the Torah Parsha, Ekev, what we realize is all of the things that were prophesied to happen to Israel in the book of Isaiah and Jeremiah and that ultimately did happen to Israel in the, uh, during that time period in the Babylonian captivity, all of those things we had already been forewarned about in the Torah, especially in the book of Deuteronomy, that if we forsake guarding our end of the covenant with the Lord that he will remove us from the land, that he will demolish everything we've done, and that he will ultimately bring generations later back again, restored and renewed to him. But even as we look at this, at this Torah parsha, just like when we look through Isaiah, every time there's a promise of destruction, there is a promise of restoration. There is a promise of renewal. There is a promise of deliverance and salvation if we simply return to the Lord. See, that's the thing, this covenant relationship we have with him, unlike relationships we have with other humans where we are far too easy to just completely write somebody off when they hurt us or when they step on our toes the wrong way or when they say something we don't like, we just cut them off and we never have anything to do with them again and we never forgive them. Thankfully, that's not the Lord. Thankfully, we do something to step on his toes and he's already forgiven us. The moment we ask for forgiveness, he goes, hey, it's all right, it's a bygone. It's, it's not an issue anymore. Just come back to me faithfully in faithfulness. We look at this Havtarah Parsha. Isaiah 49 verse 14 says, but Zion said, Adonai has forsaken me. Adonai has forgotten me. How many times have we said those words in our lives? The Lord must have forsaken me. The Lord must have walked. How could I be going through this? How could I be dealing with this right now after everything that I've done for the Lord? How could I be dealing with this? How could I be in this situation right now? Verse 15, can a woman forget her nursing baby or lack compassion for a child of her womb? Even if these forget, I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. The Lord says, even if the most finite relationship in humanity could ever forget one another, I would never forget you. I would never write you off. I would never push you aside. These are words spoken to Israel, but these are words that we can take comfort in, that we can take pride in because the Lord loves us and cares for us. And if you don't believe these words, think about what Yeshua did through the Gospels, offering his life very literally for us. Go read Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, and tell me that that is not a verbatim description of how Yeshua died for our sins. 
He laid his life on the line, literally. God came down robed in flesh. The scripture says he came a little lower than the angels. He came down robed in flesh and took on the pain, the, the regret, the, the anguish, the torture, the punishment that we rightly deserved for every time that we gave God the giant big finger and walked away from him. He paid every ounce of consequence for it so that you and I could be restored in faithfulness to him. That would be like me as a father. If my children do something, they grow up, they do something, and they're uh, on trial before the judge, and I go to the judge and say, look, don't, don't let my kids suffer. I'll take whatever this consequence is. I'll stand in their place. I'll do this, right? This is what the Lord did in so much more in providing his only begotten son that you and I could have eternal life in his midst. Isaiah 50 verse 1 says, Listen to me, you who pursue justice, you who seek out an eye. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who bore you. For when I called him, he was but, once, uh, he was but one. Then I blessed him and multiplied him. For Adonai will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. He will make her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of Adonai. Joy and gladness will be found in her thanksgiving and sound medley uh, and a sound of melody. The Lord tells us, the Lord tells us that he is there for us, that he will comfort us, that he will always draw us back to him, that he has never forgotten us. And when things are getting rough and we can't quite see the light at the end of the tunnel, what do we do? We look back to where we came from. Because there's nothing we're dealing with now that could be any worse than what the Lord has already saved us from, right? Nothing. And I don't care who you are, and I don't care what mistakes you made in your life. I don't care how you've sinned. I don't care who you've screwed over. There is nothing that you could be going through now that's any worse than what the Lord has already brought you through, than what the Lord has already paid the price for, than what the Lord has already done on your behalf. And where he's bringing you to is so much better than the problems you're facing now. And so he tells us, don't think about this problem now. Don't think about the fact that the, the nations you're coming up to on the other side of the Jordan are giants and they're huge and they're so big that the grapes have to be carried by multiple men in order to be, uh, to, to be carried because these guys are so huge they have to be sustained by giant food. They have to be, uh, they, we look like grasshoppers to them and, and likewise in their eyes. The Lord says, don't worry about that. You may look like grasshoppers in their eyes, but imagine what they look like from my perspective. Imagine what they look like from my perspective. He says, you think it was, it was awesome that I gave you Egypt's weapons when I freed you from Egypt. I'm giving you these people's land, their homes, and everything else in this land. The promises that the Lord has in store for us are so much greater than anything we could ever imagine. And he calls us, as we see in this Torah Parsha, to guard our relationship with him, to guard his commandments in our lives, to guard our walk in his life. See, it's not about honoring commandments for the sake of honoring them. It's about relationship, right? I don't tell my kids to be respectful to me and to my wife because I want them to, because it's fun or because it's something that they have to be obedient to or I'm going to kick them out of the house. I want them to be respectful to us because of relationship. I don't tell my kids that I love them because I think that they need to hear that in order to be bolstered in the human they should be. I tell them I love them because of relationship. When my kids, 
uh, break a rule or they don't do something I've asked them to do or they do something that gets them in trouble. I don't then immediately wrap my arms around them after punishing them and, and hug them and comfort them because I think I have to or there's some obligation for me to do so. I do it because of relationship. The Lord did not provide salvation for you and I because he had to. He didn't create us because he had to. He didn't need the headache and the turmoil we put him through. He did it because of relationship. Because he loves you and he loves me. And he wants to wrap his arms around us for eternity. Because he wants us to understand the depth of the love that he has. The depth of the salvation he has given us. Romans 8.31. Open up there real quick. Romans 8.31 what then shall we say in view of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how shall we not also when with him freely give? Uh, how much shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? It is Messiah who died and moreover was raised. And it is now and is now at the right hand of God and who also intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Messiah? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or fa uh, famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. But in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We're not more than conquerors because we keep kosher. We're not more than conquerors because we honor the Shabbat. We're not more than conquerors because we don't murder people or we don't commit fornication or adultery or we don't go through a whole list of commandments in the Torah. We're not more than conquerors because of any single act from the Torah. But we are more than conquerors because of what Messiah has done for us. And because we are more than conquerors, we can, in faithfulness, live by his word, which was impossible before. It was impossible to honor the commandments before the blood atonement of Messiah, hence the need for Messiah. But now because of his blood atonement, we are now able to follow the lead of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit that inspired those words. Verse 37 again, but in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. Nothing can ever separate us from his love. Nothing can ever separate us from his forgiveness. Nothing can ever separate us from his salvation. The only hindrance is you and I. Are we going to get in line? Are we going to walk faithfully with him? And, and I want to remind you that nothing includes you and I. We can hinder our own walk, but we're never going to separate the Lord's love from us. We're never going to separate his love for us. So I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you when you're going through trials and tribulations when things are bad and you're down on your luck, when it looks like all else around you is crashing at your feet. Think back to what the Lord's already done for you. 
Think back to what he's done for Israel. Think back to what he's done for our people. Think back to what he's done for the disciples. Peter denied Messiah the night of Messiah's death three times. And what is it Messiah did as soon as he came back from the grave? He redeemed and forgave him and restored him greater than he was before. There's nothing we can do that's worse than what Peter did. Nothing. He wants to redeem you and restore you in faithfulness to him, in righteousness with him. The problem you're facing today is nothing. It's just a bunch of water standing in the way of you and the promised land. But we serve a God that dries that water up so we can walk through on dry ground. We serve a God that has already given us victory. He has already given us victory, not just over the grave, but victory over the enemy. Satan and his, his demonic little minions can never, ever separate us from the Father. And the Lord has provided salvation, atonement, and redemption that we may find deliverance and true freedom in Him. Amen. Avrachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, I thank you that you are a forgiving, loving, and caring God. Father, I thank you that you are a God who cherishes your creation. I thank you that you are a God who will never forsake us because we have forsaken you, but instead will draw us closer and closer to you with more and more yearning in your heart for our love and our relationship with you. Father, I thank you that you reveal yourself to us over and over again as our heavenly father, not as our heavenly slave driver, not as our heavenly boss, but as our heavenly father, that you encourage us to approach you with the heart of a child, with nothing but total desire for our father's love. Father, I thank you that you have done so much for my life and the life of each and every person hearing these words today. And that there is no hurdle we stand before that you cannot bring us through. That there is no problem the enemy can throw our way that you cannot provide victory from. Father, we thank you that nothing can separate us from your love. Amen.